So this morning I invite you to really be present here where you are. Take a deep breath. Bring your attention to the heart space in the center of your chest. And as you breathe, become aware of your body itself. And let yourself simply relax and settle into this moment, this time that we are here together. So we breathe and we remember who we are. Remember that we are part of this great and vast ground of being, this mystery that supports life, that threads itself through all of life and that is life itself and is all that we are. And I know that this great being of oneness is more than our intellect, our cognitive ability can even take in. But there is that part of each of us that feels the truth, that tingles with an awareness that there is more to this life than the physical form, that there's more to us than this physical form, and more than our thoughts, that we truly are attached to the allness of life. So I breathe that in, and my heart fills with gratitude for the beauty of life, for all of the gifts, all of the people, for this teaching, for this center, for Dr. Patrick and Laura and all the work that they do and all the gifts that they really are to so many people. They bring such a vitality to this center and such a creativity and such dedication. And so for that I'm grateful and for each person here that serves this community as volunteers or serves it in prayer. For being here this morning, I'm filled with gratitude. I invite you to know that with me as we release this prayer to the ethers of life, saying together, and so it is. Well, we can't change tomorrow, but all the flowers of all our tomorrows are in the seeds of today, and those seeds of today are our thoughts and our words and our actions and our very consciousness that it doesn't really matter what's happened to us in the past. What really matters, the place of our actual power, is in this moment. And so if you're new to this teaching or you're new to this center and you're learning all these new ideas and you're wondering if it really can change your life, if you have conversations here over coffee or you come to a class, you'll hear the stories of people as they talk to you about the changes that they have made in, your, in their life and that all of these changes start as little seeds and then it might take years before you actually stop and take stock of the harvest that you're now reaping. For my talk this morning, Living Love's Recipe, I've used these three books. The first is Undefended Love, the book of the month. It's a book that I uh, probably read for the first time 10 years ago. It was over my head and over my heart at the time, but I knew it was powerful and I knew it was intelligent and I knew it was really calling to me. I read it again, 
I can't remember when, but still, I knew that I certainly did not have mastery, that it was a very big idea, this undefended communication, this speaking from the heart and telling the truth and making whatever comes up in life all about me, no one else and not the circumstances that I was facing. The other spiritual author is Gary Zukow, and I have read a few of his books. He is an, he's a physicist, really, and he was a uh, Green Beret as a young man in uh, the military. His book, Spiritual Partnership, is the other book that I've spent several weeks reading and mulling over in my mind, but it's really the same message as Undefended Love. If you have one of these books, you probably have most of the message that the other person writes about, even though I don't think they're connected at, at all, and they've been written probably 10 years apart from each other. The last book that I read for this talk is SQ21, and it's by Cindy Wigglesworth. She's on TED Talks. She has developed with a team of uh, scientists, researchers, people with PhDs, this assessment that where she's looked at cognitive assessments, or our IQ score. She's looked at Daniel Goldman's emotional assessment tool, and she's used it. And then she's built a spiritual assessment tool. And she did this because she was struggling at Exxon as an executive making big dollars, and she wasn't really feeling effective in her working with teams and being a team player. She went for counseling, actually and realized that she was all from the head and that she had no idea how her body was feeling and what her emotions were, couldn't identify her emotions. And then she bumped into new thought, a metaphysical teaching like this one, and realized that that's what's really making the difference to her success at work, and said, it is a real thing, and yet we can't really talk about spiritual things or spirit or the divine in the workplace comfortably. And so she set about, she ended up quitting her job and spent 12 years doing research on this book, developing this assessment tool. My talk will not do any of these books justice. You'll need to buy the book and do the work to actually get the benefit. But it's definitely benefited me a lot just trying to sort it out and make sense of it and bring it to a 25-minute talk or a 20-minute talk. Cindy Wigglesworth says this, that we talk about love in terms of I love ice cream or I love my new car. But the Buddhist teaching in the Eastern world says love is like a bird with two wings. One wing is wisdom and the other intelligence. Love is like a bird with two wings. One wing is wisdom and the other is intelligence. Spiritual intelligence in relationship is this bird with two wings. We need wisdom and we need compassion. That really true love is something that's always growing, that's transformative, but the person that really transforms in relationship sort of in the beginning is, our, is us, and that's pretty the only place that we have any real power or responsibility is to look at what's happening in our outer life, whether it's our relationship or things that are happening in life, move to that inner life within us, look at our wisdom and compassion, and take responsibility for how we're feeling about it, how we're speaking about it, how we are uh, wanting to change it, and we can change it really, and even science tells us this, that we can actually change reality by changing ourself and our own inner vibration. Spiritual intelligence is really about making meaning of life. It's recognizing that in our inner being, we come 
We just come with peace, a sense of peace and calm in our inner being. We come with this deep sense of wholeness and that it is living our life where that kind of gets covered up and masked and we do that quite unconsciously because we feel that we have to kind of cover ourselves up uh, just to survive. To get in touch with our true essence, she says, we need to quiet our mind, much like in meditation when we sit and just empty ourselves of thought. We open our heart. So really the heart is that energetic space that brings us right into our body itself and then feel the tensions and the feelings within our body. And that's how we tap in to our deeper self, our spiritual intelligence, our authentic essence. Rumi says, the seashore has trinkets. If you want to go to the ocean depths, you have to dive in. Rinpoche the author of the Tibetan book of Living and Dying, said the essential qualities of life are love, knowledge, wisdom, and compassion. Sometimes we wonder what those qualities actually feel like or look like, and if they actually come into the outer world as a true and living experience. And if you look around the banners of this center, that's one of the reasons these banners are here, because we talk about the fact that within us there is this divinity that knows the truth, that, that has a great vision for humanity, and that it shows itself up in the lives of these people. So if you look at the qualities that you may see or admire in some of the people that are our spiritual heroes, If you think of some of those qualities that these people bring to our life, into our world, the qualities that you will think of are actually the qualities deep within you that are are your qualities to bring into life. That's why they come into your mind, say these spiritual teachers. That the root of our suffering really is a sense of our powerlessness and our fear. We don't believe at some level that we have the power or we are afraid of our divinity, of our brilliance, of these wonderful qualities within us, afraid to walk out on the limb of of actually developing them and giving them to the world. Who am I to be brilliant? Marianne Williamson says, who am I to let my light shine? But these people let their light shine and showed us their brilliance because they loved so much their vision. They were inspired and called so much by their vision, by the change they wanted to see in the world. And to make that change happen, they needed to develop and change themselves and develop their own spiritual intelligence and faith. One of the reasons I think that we struggle in life and uh, Gary Zukow and um, the, the women who wrote Undefended Love talk about this is that as children, somehow we came to believe ourselves as not lovable. Whether it was a parent that wasn't there for us because they were working too much or a parent perhaps that died or parents that were simply too busy or involved or parents who had maybe disease or addiction, they just were not there for us. We didn't get mirrored back to us that we were inherently lovable. And so we spend our life trying to unconsciously fill that space in us that feels we're not lovable, forgetting or not knowing or not being taught that in fact we come, we just come out of the womb filled with lovableness. We are lovable with doing nothing 
but we often forget that we're lovable because our parents and our, we sort of need an audience that reaffirms to us as little children that we are lovable and that it's not about earning love. So if we're in a relationship and our, and our partners do not mirror to us that we are lovable and loved, and we're easily fooled to think that something they've said to us is the most unloving thing, and we are so crushed, and so it reinforces this little crack in our identity that we are not lovable. So we spend our life kind of covering up the crack because we don't really want to well, we probably are unconscious of it, I think is what they say. We're not really conscious of it. But we have all these kind of false identities that we put into our personality to pretend that we do feel lovable. And we then misinterpret so many things that our coworkers or our partners or our families do. And anything that hurts us, we push back and blame them for being unloving. Or we look at ourselves to say, I'm really not worthy of love. I'm probably not lovable. I knew it all along. But what we really need, instead of feeling anger, is empathy for ourselves. What we really need is to be aware enough to stop and breathe and feel our body and feel this emotion and have the emotional intelligence to actually identify the emotion, to know that it's anger, and beneath that anger is fear, and beneath that is a sense that we are really not feeling loved and lovable. But of course, the second step is that it's not our partners or our workers or our family's responsibility to fill us with love and fix that. It's really, we have authentic power within us to remember the truth about ourselves, that we are divine in nature and that at the core of our being, we have this wonderful loving essence. It's kind of like we are the lotus flower that has these long roots that go into the manure and the swampy parts of life you don't really see that, but it's all transformed into this absolutely beautiful lotus blossom. And within that lotus blossom, the Buddhists say, is this little diamond that's us, that's filled with all the divinity of creation. Some children, in school, often in school, but it could be at home too, get the sense that they're not intelligent. The school environment can be rather competitive, and cognitive intelligence is one of the things that our culture really values. And so it's very easy to have a cracked identity around our intelligence. And yet when I look at my little grandchildren, cognitive intelligence is not what I love about them. I see them as intelligent, and it's certainly more than just what they are doing. It's not their cognitive ability, it's not their intellect. Just they are inherently intelligent, they're just curious about life, and just their involvement in life makes me realize that they are just a brilliant intelligence like their creation. The last thing that sometimes we think is that we're not innocent. If parents have been always very blaming and criticizing, and sometimes we do that to our children because we want to improve them, believing that by letting them know every little thing that they're doing wrong, that they can refine that. But in fact, we know the opposite is true, that we start to feel that we are somehow inherently not good. And goodness is, we know goodness as a, as a little child, that we are inherently good and we are inherently innocent. And that often we bump into things and do things um, not because of choice consciously at all, but simply because we live in a world where things like that can easily happen to us. So 
the other thing I think that can be discouraging to me as a mother is that you can be the perfect parent and you can tell your child constantly, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful you and everything that they do to say, you know, it's all right, you're just a wonderful human being and then we marry someone that does not affirm that to us and we feel very self-righteous that why is this person being so critical? How dare they confront me? How dare that they tell me that I could have done that better? because we've had this wonderful parent that constantly affirmed us. And so these teachers tell us that just being constantly affirming to our partners is not doing them any favor, because it's not authentically the truth, that we actually need a little friction to polish us, that we actually benefit from getting truthful feedback, but it takes some courage in relationships sometimes to give that truthful feedback, especially if we're carrying around these wounds within us and we can react so easily when our partner does try to give us gentle feedback. We, we can't hear gentle, we just hear criticism, and it reawakens all these identities that we carry in within us. We're trying to get from our partners the love and nurturance that we separated from within ourselves as we were growing up. And our partners, really their job is not to be engaged and they're not engaged in fixing us. And they're not engaged in our agenda. As a matter of fact, they often feel our agenda and resent it. It's when we actually do the work ourselves on the parts of ourselves that are reacting that we can create real intimacy in the relationship. Until we are able to do that, even though we may be connected and we may be getting along and we may have learned how to not trigger each other, we don't have a deep and authentic relationship and that's what really creates intimacy, the intimacy that all of us crave in a relationship. My husband Norm and I went to India in December to a friend's wedding. And we went to Jaipur and in Jaipur we went to this wonderful temple and the young monks were there and uh, chatting with each other. And uh, we, some of them spoke English and some didn't. But we had brought with us Flat Stanley. Do you know Flat Stanley? One of our friends is, has a child in grade two. And the teacher had them each make a Flat Stanley. And then they asked if we would take Flat Stanley to, with us on our trip. And we would take pictures and write in his journal. And it would really help the children be kind of aware of the different cultures in the world, the different customs, the different parts of the world. So we took Flat Stanley. And uh, Norm had it with him that day when we went to this temple. And he uh, asked the young monks if told him about Flat Stanley, the couple that spoke English, and, and they were interested, and, and uh, they took, we took a picture with them. But the master, Guru, was watching, and he came over and just kind of quietly talked to them. And, and then Cheeky Norm went over to him and offered Flat Stanley to him, because doesn't he just look fantastic? We just said, well, what a great picture this would be. It's, such a, it's just such a flip somehow with this serious spiritual man. So he just very kindly stood there and let us take his picture, several pictures. And our hearts opened. Their hearts opened and our hearts opened. And we made this wonderful, intimate connection thanks to Flat Stanley. Love is really the ability, well, maybe it's our spiritual intelligence is the ability to have compassion and love within us in spite of what's going on in our inner emotional inner life and in spite of what's going on in our outer life. And I think that's what the holy man really 
had that kind of a conscious energy, that he was so centered and grounded and yet able to be playful and step kind of out probably of, from what his customary role would be. And really, it just touched us. Deep intimacy needs a sustainable connection with something that's authentic. What's authentic in us is our essential self. And when we share with each other in conversations and tell each other our deepest truth, something almost mystical happens between us and we are just forever bonded and connected and have this, we fall into this intimate moment. And that's what we're really craving in our spiritual journey, that we are craving that deep intimacy with ourselves, with the divine within us. And we are craving walking along in this journey of life with people who are also on this intimate spiritual journey along with us. People who will challenge us at times. But these teachers tell us that that challenge that we feel is actually a gift. It's an invitation to dive deeply into the ocean of our own consciousness to heal those places in us that are reactive and defensive, that get angry and believe that the environment is causing us to be angry rather than it's something within us that needs to be healed and that this, in fact, is a gift to us. That our partners, when we become angry and reactive, they're actually giving us an opportunity to heal our cracked identity. I really enjoyed reading this book and it's got story after story of examples of these wonderful, courageous, spiritual teachers. And I'd just like to read you one. Stay open in the face of fear and inquire into every thought, feeling and behavior. The deeper you love yourself, the more the universe will align with you. Marlene and I were having dinner with several associates. One woman whom we both hold in very high regard Ask Marlena a question that I found startling. Referring to one of Marlena's friends, she said, how can you spend so much time and energy relating to someone who is so unconscious? She doesn't know what she feels, and she makes up endless streams of stories to justify her actions. I assessed her question as judgmental and critical. I felt a chill run up my spine, she said. I glanced over to see Marlena's response. I thought she would take offense to this accusation, but to my surprise, Marlena took the question in, reflected on it for several moments, and used it as a platform to discover something about herself. At first examination, she said slowly, I do not want to give up our friendship. I don't want to discard a friend the way one would an old garment. But I realize that this is only the first layer, one that supports my main identity as loyal and committed to my relationships. As I dig a bit deeper, I see a familiar yet uncomfortable personality strategy at work. As long as I keep working on my connection with my friend, I avoid looking too closely at it, and I fool myself into thinking we have a viable and workable relationship. I suppose I don't want to see the truth that friendship our friendship has not deepened in the way that I would have liked. By not looking at that, I don't have to deal with the pain that comes up when I consider losing my friend. Through this kind of self-inquiry, she began to see that her fear of losing the friendship actually kept it from reaching its potential. This was the ultimate gift of her exploration. Several hours later, I asked Marlene how she managed not to be defensive 
since the question could have been in interpreted as an accusation that she was unconscious to have such a friend. Marlena responded, years ago, I would have regarded that question as critical, and I would have felt confusion and self-recrimination. I've learned the lesson many times over, that looking at what is being pointed out, no matter how flattering, it's always more rewarding than arguing with it. So today, I was able to make the choice to let the question in and see what I would discover by turning inward rather than reacting outward. She valued insight and self-inquiry more than she needed to control the way she appeared to others or protect herself from being judged. To be more committed to discovering something about our true identity than we are to presenting ourselves in a way that doesn't expose us to others or trying to get others to change so we can feel comfortable and safe. I know you can't identify with that, but this has been my life's work. It's very difficult to even tell ourselves the truth, much less say it out loud, especially to someone that, whose admiration we want. You know, we might even be aware that we want, but to have someone, you know, I can just see myself, to be in a room with a very wise woman who I admire and respect, who nails me like that, it's very hard not just to crumble and get teary. Um, that's my story, you know, that's my, been my experience. I, sometimes I just feel sort of shattered to the core and can't sort of find my strength to do the investigation. But these authors say, even if you can't do it at the time, do it. Take some time away from, from it. Gather yourself and use these steps to go kind of down and question yourself. That it's the way to kind of dismantle our personality dismantle our ego and heal these parts of us where often we're very unconscious. And when we are triggered like this, it brings it into our consciousness and it's a gift. We just need to tap into this wonderful flower of consciousness, this goodness, this okayness, this wholeness within us as we do this investigative work because it's a message offering itself to heal us. Talk to the frightened personality, they say. Look at that seething, erupting, crying, hiding, shutting down and collapsing part. Ask yourself, are you willing to challenge this? Notice that you, if what you're feeling inside your body, and I know for me sometimes I feel like my heart is just hurting and it's hard to breathe into it and get it to relax enough to even do the work. It's hard to be willing enough to do the work. We can change our perspective, they tell us. Ask ourselves, what would wisdom and compassion do? I love these quotes. In the stillness of your heart, there rests an inner image, the seed of your realization. Your task is not to seek love, but to find all the barriers within yourself that you have built up against it. If you are irritated by every little rub, how will your mirror be polished? There's a reason you can learn from everything. You have basic wisdom, basic intelligence, and basic goodness. The second story I would like to read you is from Gary Zukov. 
Gary Zukos has had a, a very adventurous life, and he's written many books. And he's a man that actually, and he and his partner Linda, are practicing this spiritual intelligence, spiritual partnership, of really investigating uh, the bumps that they have in their relationship, and investigating it right in front of groups of people as they teach workshops. Changing your perspective from fearful to loving is an operative dynamic in the creation of authentic power. It's a shift from anxiety to appreciation and from pain to joy. You cannot change your emotions at will, but you can choose what you will do when your emotions come. When you are angry, depressed, jealous, thinking critical thoughts, or having any of the familiar, painful experiences of frightening parts of your personality, you can choose to shift your perception to the loving parts of your personality. Sometimes the universe gives you the experience of shifting to a loving perspective without any effort on your part. Linda and I had taken a long trip, and we were on a flight home. We were pleased to have an empty seat between us. It gave us a place to put our books, our snacks, our notes. And we stretched out. But just before the doors closed, a disheveled man ran down the aisle towards us. He stopped beside Linda, showed her ticket, and it was for the empty seat between us. His clothes were rumpled, he was unshaven, his hair was unkept, and he smelled of alcohol. I could feel Linda's concern. I was concerned having him sit, sit next to us for the long flight. We sat silently together for the first 20 minutes. When a flight attendant came by, he ordered another bourbon, although it was early morning. Linda usually enjoys speaking with fellow travelers, but this time she remained quiet. I was thinking or feeling her experience of the person sitting beside her, and then to my surprise, she asked him, Where are you from? He looked at her indirectly and said softly, I just buried my daughter. His simple words opened my heart. I saw that they deeply touched Linda also, and she became available and interested instead of judgmental and distant. Gently, she asked him a few more questions, and slowly, his story emerged. By the time we arrived at the airport, we had become friends. He had intended to take a taxi home, but we realized that we lived close, and so we offered to drop him off. The last thing that we saw was him waving us goodbye. Look for ways to let a new perspective dissolve your fear. Allow yourself to become one who, at this time and in this place, appreciates instead of judges, loves instead of fears, and creates authentic power. Love connects us when we reach out to each other and open our hearts. Love safeguards us. There's always times when we need each other, when life happens, and when it makes all the difference when someone opens their heart and simply is present to us, doesn't need to save us or fix us, but simply has the courage to be there in the fire with us. Love really improves us and heals us. And in the end, even though sometimes we take this walk through pain and discomfort and fear. Underneath that, there is a kind of bubbling joy to this life, a deep understanding that we are connected to something so much bigger than ourselves, 
to be able to see that in each other and realize that about each other in these times when life hands us something that's almost too much for us to bear. Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Begin to wake up, be in the present moment. Plant seeds of love consciously from an open-hearted love for ourselves and for each other. We can all do small things with great love like Mother Teresa. Because it is really only from the heart that we can touch the sky. Two caterpillars are looking at a butterfly in a tree. One caterpillar turns to the other and says, you'll never catch me up there. I think we often feel like that, that it's really wonderful that these people on our banners stepped out into their great spiritual awakening, but you'll never catch us up there. But you know when we are carrying a child in our womb and we know that our mind and our cognitive intelligence has got nothing to do with it, we know that a great transformation is happening. We know that at the moment of death, that something like that cocoon moving to a butterfly, something like that child made of an egg and a sperm that can somehow create this magnificent life can actually happen. It gives us faith that as a humanity, that we can transcend our current wars, our current biases between religions and points of view, and that we truly can touch the sky because it is really only from this heart of the divine that we can touch the sky. Know that with me this morning. Namaste.